web any size. Catch your seeds just like flies. Look out! Here comes the Spider-Man. Hello and welcome to the latest episode of Amazing Spider-Man Classics, in association with SpiderManCrawlspace.com. I believe this is episode 41 of the show, where I am going to go through the emails! Okay, so if you are a newcomer to the show, um, the show is in a bit of a transitionary state right now. Next episode... The show goes back into full on real life production. Well, not live, but you know, real production with, with new content from a new panel of co-hosts. And that's all going to be super fantastic. This episode, in order to bridge the gap between the old and the new, um, I wanted to spend some time with the email inbox. Now, in my approach to podcasting, I always have felt that email is very important. I love getting feedback from listeners. And to show that love, I read feedback on the air. Now, this show being what it is and having been gone for so long, there was both feedback that came in whenever it was still going and feedback that has trickled in since, and a little bit of feedback that has come in since we've been back. And so rather than take either the old panel of guys or the new panel of guys through all the email, it's just me sitting here spending time with your words as a way of saying thank you for all that you've done in support of the show. Okay, now... In addition to email, I also have iTunes reviews, which are a lot shorter to read, but also very, very appreciated because not only are you sending your thoughts about the show, you're actually doing it in a format and in a location that makes the show more visible to others who might want to look at it. If anybody um, still gets their podcast through iTunes, because I don't. I mean, I use the podcast app, but I don't go browsing podcasts in iTunes, if, but, but, you know, I'm just a weird guy who does, you know, podcasts. I'm sure there are lots of people out there who use iTunes. So I very, very much appreciate you writing in your reviews so that all the people can see it. Okay. Now, um, I'm looking at these iTunes reviews and, uh, I think that there are a couple here that I never got read on the show, um, in, in, in its previous incarnation. I recognize Fancy Dan's Little Pants, so I think that's the last one that I've read. Um, so going on, the next iTunes review from April 19th, 2011, is from Twar1234, spelled 2R1234, and he gives us five stars, calling it hilarious and fun. He says, great stuff, the runtime flies by. So, thank you, Tor, for that. The Gumhead, on May 25th, 2011, says, Oh no! With five stars. What happened? Did you guys give up? Dang, I love this podcast. Come back! <laughs> okay, that was in May 2011. And we did have a little bit of a gap in episodes there. Not not, not a huge one. Um, we had episodes in April. And then we, I guess we just missed May. Anyways, so yeah. Uh, he, he had no idea of the big gap that was in front of him. Then we have, let's see, June 13th, we have an email. This email is from Tyson. Tyson says, I just had to pause the latest podcast. You guys haven't read Tarzan? 
The only other question I could think to ask is, why not? I was glad to hear John at least show interest, and I'll get to that in a moment. However, Don, you sound like you are less than interested. I have to say, sadly, that I hear that a lot. Everyone sees the media bastardization of several really good old characters. Tarzan and Conan are the two I get the most peeved about, and I and, and say, that stuff is corny. Naturally, people seeing things like the Disney Tarzan movie, the old black and white Johnny Weissmuller Tarzan movies, or the 80s Conan movies with Arnie and think that's what it's all about. And that couldn't be further from the truth. It's sort of like seeing Spider-Man 3, thinking that that's Spider-Man at its best, and avoiding the Spider-Man comics as a result. When you get What you get when people start making movies, be they based on comics or books, is a poorly watered-down version of characters and events. You know, that's interesting. Um, I've never been a really huge... This is me talking. I've never been a really huge Tarzan fan. I mean, I liked the books, and but I've never really like gone and pursued the universe and the, um, the, the stories and the media and everything. So I, I didn't realize that there was such a disparity between the two. Tyson goes on to say, I can't really chastise you too much because I felt the same way you do once upon a time. I, too, was under the impression that what the media had given me was what Tarzan and Conan were all about. And while I had no qualms with having passing interest in the characters, I didn't particularly care to sit down and read a book about them. Movies just made them look like dime a dozen fantasy characters. Then along came my friend's dad with his extensive library of old pulp novels. He asked me if I'd be interested in reading some of his old Conan books, the original Robert Howard stuff, and I replied about the same way Don did on the podcast. He then read a couple of pages out loud and I said, Yeah, that sounds pretty cool. How many can I borrow? And a while later I had my own Robert Howard Conan library. Um, that's really cool. It's cool whenever uh, adults can get us hooked on stuff. That I have a story similar to that with an adult getting me hooked on um, not a series of books, but a book. It's really the only time this ever happened called The Hab Theory, which is a sci-fi story and concept I find rather fascinating. Um, but anyways, he says, a few months later, he said, ever read Tarzan? I told him no. And I wasn't particularly interested, thinking a guy in leopard skin undies swinging around the jungle just sounded ridiculous. I decided I'd give it a try anyway, since he'd been right about Conan. He said he wasn't sure how many he had, but he had the first book on his shelf. He gave it to me and told me that by the time I was done with it, I'd like Tarzan. And by the time I finished the third book in the series, The Beasts of Tarzan, I'd love him. I love him. And he was right. Not only did I eventually get all 24 of the original Burroughs Tarzan novels myself, but I also got the 25th lost Tarzan novel that was found during the Burroughs estate sale and subsequently released by Dark Horse Comics. I did not even know that existed. I did not know that was a thing, Tyson. That's really cool. Um, He says, not only are these old tomes enjoyable because of the characters and stories, but also because they're extremely well written. They just seem to flow, begging you to keep turning the pages. I would highly recommend you forget what you know about Tarzan and read the first three books. If you like Spidey as much as we all do, I can't see any of you guys not liking Tarzan. He says, John, if you've got access to your dad's stash, it would be crazy of you not to take advantage. I know you said you want to read the whole series, but, and this is not meant to knock the later books, some of them are completely forgettable. 
None of them are particularly horrible, but they just get a bit fantastical and out there as they progress. I can, however, with no reservations, tell you the first four books are Tarzan at his finest. Some of the best, most entertaining books I've read. And really, Tyson, those are the four that I've read. So I guess I've read the best of the Tarzan. Um, I have one other thought on this. I'm going to finish up what he says real quick. Uh, I know this has next to nothing to do with Spidey, so there's no reason to read it on the podcast, but get the word out. Tarzan, the real Tarzan, is a truly classic character that sits in the fictional character Hall of Fame right next to Spidey for me. And he sent a picture of his collection of Tarzan novels. Uh, if you're a collector, they're the white spined edition with like all the red titles. Um, okay, so... The only caveat I would add to Tyson's um, praises of the Tarzan novels, I mean, he's right. They're, they're, they're action adventure at their finest. They're, they're, um, they're imaginative. The jungle stuff is great. The only thing is the writer was rather unenlightened in his approach to other cultures and the ways that he describes African natives um, are, <laughs> are kind of terrible, but that's a small, small, small part of the book. And it's of its time. It's one of those things that, you know, I'd like to think that if the guy were writing, were creating the Tarzan concept today, that he would have nicer things to say about those kinds of peoples. But, um, but yeah, so Tarzan, good stuff. Thank you for writing Tyson. I'm sorry. This wasn't read in a more timely manner to make it more applicable to the episodes. But, um, yes, June 25th, 2011, Adam Mitchell writes Amazing Spider-Monkey Classics. Dear Spider-Man Classics, please make me up name. I've been with you since the beginning, but this is my first time writing. I have started again after I missed most of this year. I have three things, if you do not mind. First, I know you don't talk much about current Spider-Man, but I want your opinion on Spider-Island. Second, I want to know where to get that DVD-ROM of comics for under $75. And third, are you so glad that Spider-Man does not have one of those live monkeys from the ads that also gets some kind of powers? <laughs> and the monkey's name is Spider-Monkey. Can't wait for more. Um, I remember reading Spider-Island. I remember um, more or less enjoying Spider-Island. It has now been five years, so I can't really speak more to that, but... And again, this email is being read five years after it was written, so maybe you don't need any more than that. And I did not realize those DVD-ROMs are getting so darn expensive, but evidently they are. Um, Gitcorp, G-I-T-C-O-R-P is the brand. And I just I would suggest just keep hunting. Hunt the eBay, do, do, do Google searches for Gitcorp, Spider-Man or whatever, and see what's out there. There is also a collection of CD-ROMs. They had a lot of the comics on it before they collapsed it all down into one DVD. It's it's kind of crazy how many CD-ROMs worth of data will fit onto a single DVD-ROM. Then um, we have June 27th from Davis Zamora to a bunch of Molly Coddlin bindle stiffs. How's one of my favorite podcast panels ever? Well, Davis, <laughs> I'm sure we're great. <laughs> um, in, our, in, our, in, our, in, our, in our currently separate lives. 
He says, thank you for making a massively boring 12-hour car ride almost bearable. You guys saved my sanity. With that out of the way, I have a few questions for you guys, like this is an episode of The Crawl Space. Don, congrats on finishing reviews for the 90s Spidey animated series. I and many others would love for you to do the podcast version, like what the world's finest podcast found at earth2.net, plug plug, did for the DCAU. However, we understand you if you can't do it. Anyway, what's your next job for the crawl space? Um, I, I, I want to see if he's doing anything currently for the crawl space. And as I bring up the website, um, the last things I see Donovan doing were superior Spider-Man reviews. Um, I could be wrong. It could be that the search that I just did is not giving me everything. Uh, or that is giving me in a non-chronological order so that I don't see what the most recent things he's doing are. But it looks like that's it. Now, Donovan did um, do a complete run of Dragon Ball Z at the Next Dimension. He did a complete series looking at all of the different uh, sagas of Dragon Ball Z. So you should definitely do a search for the Next Dimension of Dragon Ball Z podcast if you were at all a child of the 90s and have interest in that. So, um, but yeah, then let's see what the next question was. He says, John... What comics are you reading now? <laughs> Davis, you're great. Um, we're going to come back to that because 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 I want to give everyone else their due. Josh, if a Betty Brant series had amazing writing, spectacular art, and sensational reviews and made Betty a likable character, would you allow your opinion to be changed? Oh, that's a good question. Josh, if you want to write in with your answer... Um, my my impression is that is that Betty Brant never had any redemption in Josh Bertoni's eyes. I could be wrong, but, but that was my understanding. That through all of the modern history and everything, Betty Brant is a terrible person. To all, anybody else find Peter's interactions with Aunt May creepy? I'm reading Spidey from the 80s to the 2000s, and Peter's always saying stuff like, Aunt May, don't ask MJ to get you a modeling gig as well, and here's a little out-of-context theater for you. <clears throat> this is my, I'm going to do my voices, okay? Okay, I give. <laughs> her, her, this is so much fun. Um, Yeah. It's amazing how just a couple little grunts and moans with a this is so much fun line can make something sound completely, um, completely off color. But yes, Davis says, curse you guys. You brought my mind to the gutters. By the way, the quotes were from Amazing Spider-Man 315 and Peter Parker's Spider-Man Volume 2, number 50. Thank you for your time, guys. Hope you enjoyed recording. I'm glad there's no log. It's being addicted to a show. Mabuhai, Davis Zamora, a.k.a. Iron Patriot from the Philippines. P.S. Sorry for the long email. Oh, and John, leave my hard-earned allowance alone. Um, no, your allowance is mine, and I will I will turn you over and hang, hang you up by your ankles next time I see you to get it from you. Anyways, so uh, Davis, that is not a long email, but you do have my apologies for taking so long to read it. Um, Peter and Aunt May. I never saw it as creepy when I was younger. Like I saw him as being flattering to his aunt because she's old and alone and, 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 you know, maybe she likes being made to feel pretty. Um, maybe that was just one of the family jokes that they developed. I don't know. Family dynamics can sometimes develop over time. And if you're on the outside looking in, you think it's kind of strange, but 
It's just an ongoing joke that everyone enjoys having. But when I looked at some of those scenes with other people, like on the podcast and stuff, yeah, they occasionally did come off feeling a bit creepy. He's basically flirting with her. Now, he's not flirting with her with the aim to get some, but he is definitely flirting with her. Uh, so, yeah, it's definitely strange. We'll just assume that it's not like a Norman and Norma Bates kind of situation. Um, as far as what comics John Wilson is reading now, you, you asked for this. You know that you did, just to say. All right, I have several reading projects going right now. Um, the one that is currently getting the most attention is an X-Men read-through. Um, Jay and Miles Explain the X-Men is a podcast that I'm absolutely in love with, and I've been trying to catch up to their coverage. I've been like two spits away from being caught up to them for a while now, and I'm just trying to close that gap down to zero. Um, but we are in 1989. I have now read every X-Men-related book up until 1989, I think May, maybe around there. So that's one reading project. My my next, uh, the, is the uh, issue of X-Men that I just read today was Uncanny X-Men 248. So if that means anything to y'all, that's where I am my X-Men reading. Okay, second reading project I'm on is um, an Everything Marvel reading project. Um, because in... Uh, there's 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 some X-Men stuff, podcasty stuff that I'm doing that hasn't really been announced anywhere yet, so I hate to give further details on. But um, one of the things that I want to do during that show is to talk about stuff that's going on in the Marvel Universe, and I would like this to just be my excuse to, to continue reading on through the Marvel Universe. So I've been reading some of that currently around the um, 1964-ish phase yeah july 1964 okay then my next reading project i'm not going to go through all of them but the next one that i'm getting a long time to is a superman read through um superman read through i've been working on for several years uh, i started at 1938 action comics one and i have read every superman related comic book published by dc comics up through um middle or early 1967 so almost 30 years of Superman history I have read. Uh, we've gotten past the height of the Silver Age, got past the checkered era, and I'm on the back end of the Silver Age, and it's I'm in a bit of a low spot with Superman comics, so I'm just waiting for the Bronze Age goodness to come along and change that up. I'm trying to do two Transformers read-throughs. Transformers Marvel series from the 80s. I read the 80-issue run back a long time ago. I'm rereading it with all of the British comics mixed in and G.I. Joe along the way and the other cartoons that came out at the same time. I'm currently in the Headmasters era. So the Headmasters origin series is on. Uh, the Headmasters cartoon series from Japan is on. And it's, it's been really, really fun. Also, the British original stuff that involves the Dinobots and the future Transformers like Cyclonus and Scourge and, and Rodimus Prime, all that stuff, super fun. Really enjoy it. And I also, also reading along with that, an IDW Transformers read through. And just, just to top it all off, I'll do one more. Um, I really like the Valiant universe. Um, 
so I've been reading, trying to read through and catch up on the Valiant comics, but but to give just a brief rundown of other things I would like to get around to reading at some point, um, I started a Captain America read through that I'd like to get back to. I'd like to um, get caught up on From Crisis to Crisis and read those Superman comics along with other 90s books I was reading along with them. I'd like to read through Preacher. Um, I'm reading along with the Justice League International Bwahaha podcast from the Fire and Water Network. I want to do a Ninja Trolls read through from the 80s. I want to do... Um, a golden age comics reading project again. And I'd like to read some more of DC's silver age. So those are things that I have pegged to read at some point, but yeah, um, just try, you know, just try to read all the comics. No, no, no big deal. Okay. But thank you so much for that email, Davis. Let's go on. Let's see. Um, Michael Grant, it's June 29th, 2011. Just find your podcast via the crawl space. Great show. So much more fun to listen to a podcast about the era issues of ASN. They were actually good. I also plan on giving your cat podcast a listen. If you ever need a guest casters, I'd be more than happy to lend my knowledge. Thanks for the entertainment, Mike. Sorry, the cat podcast has fizzled, Mike. I have tried to resurrect a Captain America podcast and my efforts have so far been for naught. But yeah, um... Thank you for writing that email, Michael. Hope you're enjoying the return of the show. Andy Stout wrote in July, July 10th, 2011. He said some thoughts. I've just started listening to your podcast. It helps the time go by at work when things are slow. I'm up through your review of the first Craven story so far, and it's all great. There were occurrences I had to bite my tongue to keep from laughing out loud. I hope you still have a fully integrated tongue, Andy. I hate for you to be losing pieces of it. There is one thing I'm surprised you didn't comment on. Perhaps you have in a future podcast. If so, I apologize. Especially with all the hell you've given them over Alan versus Alan, the A-N versus E-N. Namely, Dr. Octopus's name has changed. If you look at these early lead Ditko issues, his name is consistently spelled Octavius. I-O-U-S. I'm unsure when his name shifted to the more familiar Octavius with no O, that they eventually made official. Any help on that? Wow, Andy. Um, that's a good call. I don't even know when the next use of Otto Octavius came along. Because to my memory, there's not really much in the way of references to his origin story for a while. He's just Dr. Octopus. But I will try to keep an eye out for that. Um, in the recordings of future episodes... Uh, Mike, Andy, and I have already gotten into the next big Dr. Octopus arc, so I will be keeping watch to see if we get a name spelling check on that. But um, since Amazing Spider-Man 3, I'm pretty sure it hasn't been used, so we'll, we'll look for that. Okay, Andy Stout writes a PS. Forgot to include this in my previous email. You've inspired me. I'm so inspiring. Once I get a microphone and work out the mechanics, I think I might start a similar podcast cast project of my own it would be about my personal favorite comic hero quasar obviously it wouldn't be as epic in scope as the spidey classics project but it'll be fun to trace his humble beginnings when mark to when mark gruenwald got him and made him his own it'd also be nice to help increase his visibility well andy are you are you the one doing that quasar podcast i've seen out there that would be really cool um let's see but as I'm searching, the one that I was thinking of, the Quantum Cast, does not appear to involve you, Andy. So, and also appears, it appears to have 
um, gone the way of many podcasts and that it is no longer being produced. So I think you should definitely get out there, get your microphone, do some uh, Quasar podcasting. He's um, at least tangentially related to Captain Marvel, I know, which is something that I really uh, enjoy. Oh, but I do want to correct you. I was, I, was con- I was continuing to search as I was talking, and I do find the Quantum Cast at Two True Freaks. Now, there has not been an episode since April, uh, or rather May, of this year, but that is way too early to say it's pod faded. So, quantumbands.blogspot.com or the Quantum Cast at Two True Freaks.com are both ways that you can find that show. Okay, let's see what is next in the bag. Next in the bag is an iTunes review from July 16th, 2011. Written by Lycos112. Um, oh, then my phone rang. So I had to pause the show and bring in the groceries. That was fun. Okay, so this next iTunes review. Four stars. Now, I remember this iTunes review from when it came in. I'm pretty sure we have not covered it on the show. I don't remember talking about it on the show. Grammar peeves ruin a good podcast. Ruin a great podcast. From Lycos112. I loved this podcast. I really did. But then, then, oh, I wish it hadn't, but it did. Something that just makes me scream. I am not a grammar Nazi. Far from it. But the host of the show himself, John Wilson, the self-professed grammar Nazi, came a grammar issue that drives me up the wall. Mostly because nobody tells them not to do it. He has a cute daughter. He has an intelligent manner. And then he says whenever instead of when. Whenever refers to a situation that happens numerous times and how you address that situation each time. It is not a proper replacement for the word when. When refers to a single situation or a regular activity and how you addressed it. You cannot say, whenever I saw my wife this morning, I asked her to walk the dog. I know I come off as a jerk for saying this, but you are ruining what would be a great podcast with a single pet peeve that for some reason, many middle Americans cannot get through their collective heads. It's a mistake. Stop doing it. It's not even a colloquialism. It's just a stupid collective mistake, and it drives me up the wall more than any other little nuance of language. For a guy who calls himself a grammar Nazi, sheesh. Whenever Spider-Man punched Craven this issue, he dot 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 is inexcusable for someone who cares to claim about their language. Makes you sound like a dope who doesn't care what comes out of his mouth, and clearly you are not that. So why do you do it? Five stars denied. Four stars, sure. Well, I'm sorry that my grammar nitpicking bothers you. I've been told it bothers a lot of people. I try not to do it as much except for in jest. And one of the places where I can jest is here on podcasts when I'm looking at writing. So, yes. Um, as far as whenever versus when, you are, of all the 37 years of my life, let me count the people who have told me that. Um... Let's see, carry the two... Yeah, you're the first. So I've never heard of that distinction between when versus whatever. It makes sense. Makes sense to me. I did look it up in the dictionary, and I did see that whenever is used for when in a sense of emphasis. So people do use it that way. It is, by definition, a colloquialism, because colloquialisms are what distinguish 
conversational speech from formal writing. Um, and you misspelled Craven when you said whenever Spider-Man punched Craven. So, you know, I'm sorry, but I'll probably continue to nitpick the grammar in comics because that's that's what I, I like to do. I also no longer call myself a grammar Nazi because I've never you know committed genocide in the name of grammar. So um, police, sure, but not Nazi. All right. Another iTunes review that came in that day from 1980 Spider-Fan. Awesome. Five stars. Brings back a lot of memories. I was a big fan in the early to mid 80s when Marvel Tales was reprinting the original issues of Amazing Spider-Man. And the podcast is a great way to relive the experience and learn some new trivia. Keep up the good work. Thank you so much, Spider-Fan. I hope you're enjoying the fact that the show is back. Okay, then we have, let's see, July 20th, William Purcell says, I love this show. Thank you. Give up the good work. Give us five stars. Thank you, William. We got an email the same day, July 20th, 2011, from Andy Stout. Hey, guys, me again. By the way, I am Thanos 6 at the Crawl Space, catching up on the backlog, and I have a few thoughts. First, as to why Norman Osborn tried to shoot Mendel Strom with a rifle as opposed to one of his goblin gadgets. As opposed to everyone else he's tried to off so far, Strom has a direct connection to Osborn. If Strom were killed, either way, an investigation would include Osborn, and if a trademark goblin gadget were used, some canny police detective might start putting two and two together. An ordinary rifle wouldn't cause those kinds of worries. All he'd have to do would provide an alibi and dispose of the gun, which wouldn't be too hard for him to manage. Yes, that makes a lot of sense, Andy, but you forget Mendelstrom died of a heart attack from being shot by a gun, not from being shot by the gun itself, according to the dialogue in the issue. But actually, it makes sense. Um, also... We'd only seen the Green Goblin doing gangster violence and attacking Spider-Man. Norman Osborn is killing off a person. So I, I agree that using a method that's not linked to the Green Goblin would help to keep stuff off of his back. He's, he's doing a very direct and personal elimination of a problem in his life at this point. You also wondered if any other villain had discovered his hero's identity before the Green Goblin. Well, yes. Back in the Golden Age, Dr. Savannah discovered that Captain Marvel's identity was Billy Batson. I have since read that issue. I, I remember that one. Savannah had fought Captain Marvel in the hero's very first appearance in 1940. And although I'm not positive, I believe he might have discovered the Marvel-Batson connection in the very next issue. As to whether Savannah ever went to Batson's house and tried to ambush him there, I believe he might have, but as my Golden Age Captain Marvel collection is far from complete, I can't say for sure. Can't wait for more. You know what's great about those Golden Age Captain Marvel comics? They are in the public domain and are available at the digitalcomicmuseum.com. So if you want to go read some, some Wiz comics and some Captain Marvel comics, then you can go help yourself from there which is pretty fantastic. Okay, what is our next communication? It is July 31st, 2011. iTunes review from Deadpool 2099. Was there a Deadpool 2099? That's a frightening thought. The best Spider-Man podcast around. Watch it. Well, to paraphrase my friend Andy, you can't watch this podcast because it's an audio medium. But I do hope everyone out there is enjoying the show. 
August 1st, 2011 from Andy Leyland. I was just talking about you, Andy. How did you know to write an email? That's crazy. New episode, Dear Messrs. Wilson, Grant, and Brant. Sorry, Bertoni. It's good to have you back, Andy. Aw, too bad we then went away again for a while. Okay, let's see what's next here. Come on, load. Nothing's coming up. Why is it not coming up? Oh, uh, we get to the beginning of the page. Um, okay. So then next page, August 1st, 2011, from Aiden Mohan. Howdy, y'all. His topic is a sliding timeline. It's me here to talk a little bit about the Marvel Universe timescale. I generally go by the rule of thumb that with every three Earth years that go by, one Marvel year goes by. That doesn't always work out, but it's just good enough for me. To get more specific about Spider-Man, I believe he gained his powers when he was 15, and right now... And this is in 2011, despite what some editors say, he is 30 years old. JR actually has a really solid article about this subject. Here's the link. Uh, he sends a link to spideykicksbutt.com. Uh, you know, I'm not going to read the URL, but I will try to remember to include this link in the uh, show notes. The section, How Old is Spider-Man? really goes into great detail and angel retentiveness in a good way about this subject. Personally, I love the shocker, even his design. Okay, since he's going to change his topics, so I want to talk about the sliding timeline. Okay, sliding timeline. I understand the every three years to one year thought. I like that. It's cool. However, there's a problem. And that is that in modern comics, stories are passing more slowly now than they did 10, 20 years ago, okay? Um, because we have so much decompressed storytelling, and we have the fact that a lot of stories take multiple issues and, and to, to, to form the whole arc. So, for example, the Justice League run in the New 52. 50 issues in Jeff Johns' Justice League run, if you count the primary numbered issues, um, but there were only, you know, like five or six real significant storylines during that time. So the Justice League had a half dozen adventures in five years of comics. Would that be a half dozen adventures in, um, one and a half years according, or one and two thirds years according to the three years to one year rule? I don't know, but that seems like, seems like it doesn't quite fit right. I feel like, and this has come up over my Superman show, The New 52 Adventures of Superman, because the amount of time that has gone by in the last five years doesn't really seem to be a whole lot. In fact, in Supergirl Rebirth, it was said the Supergirl has only been on the planet for a few months. Now, a few months could be, you know, five months. It could be ten months. It feels like a few months shouldn't be more than a year. But if I think about it honestly, um, I feel like the entire New 52 history of Superman, except for the stuff that's obviously set in an earlier era, could fit into a year, which would be five years of comics in a year of storytelling. Um, so, yeah, as stories get more and more decompressed, time is going to be going by more and more slowly. I don't really like there have been a couple of DC efforts in recent years to state that a certain amount of time has gone by, like one calendar year has gone by during one publishing year. 
They did that with the Joker um, around Batman 13. And they, they did that to explain why John Kent is the age he is. Um, they, they don't really seem to work for me. You know, I, I, I nod at them and say, okay, I see what you're saying. Because time in comics is really very strange. I don't think we can do a hard and fast rule even now that three years to one year works because time just has slowed down even more. But, you know, it is kind of cool. I think we're at the point now where we can't really expect to see aging. Um, except for in children, I don't expect to ever see any comics character age ever. Not even at a reduced rate. You want to bring your children up, you want to have children be at a fuzzy age until, until you know, maybe they're teenagers or something. That's fine, but I don't really expect anything more than that to ever happen. Okay, Aiden goes on, personally, I love the Shocker, even his design. When I was much younger, I loved to draw Spider-Man versus the Shocker and the Looter. Because I have something about lame villains, huh? He's just a thug, but he's clever enough to beat up Spider-Man and make the Vibro Shockers. I also like the fact that he doesn't really care about Spider-Man, he just wants money. And John and I also love Joel, and yes, that story was true. And other celebrity tells my cousin lives across the street from Ralph Macchio, the Karate Kid, and I went to his garage sale. I also get told I look like Tobey Maguire when I wear glasses. Interesting. That's kind of cool. Getting to, to meet celebrities in your life and, and do normal stuff with them. That's neat. Um, he says, P.S. I'm published. Three novellas, but they're fun, I think. I'm glad. I'll gladly send you guys PDFs if you want to read it. Um, I will put links to these stories in the show notes. Okay, got to make a note of the show notes. Okay. Uh, notepad, three links from Aiden's email. Okay, so those are going to go in the show notes. Let's see what is next here. August 4th, 2011. Brian Kennedy, Amazing Spider-Man Classics Correspondence. Greetings and salutations, Classics crew, and any guests that might be on the show when this is read. No guests, negative guests, in fact, because everyone has left. I have finally caught up on the podcast, so I decided to email in. Sadly, I have nothing specifically Spidey-related to email about. But fear not. I decided to email in about one of the ads, namely the Polaris Nuclear Wessel, or, or the submarine. While it was only $7 in 1966, it would be about $50 today, according to an inflation calculator I found online. Now, if the ad was truthful, that still may not be too bad, but then I found a website where someone recounted their memories of actually sending away for and getting the submarine. And he includes the link. More show notes links. So, Brian Kennedy, email, submarine link. All right. He says, hopefully, considering what the submarine turned out to actually be, no kids actually took the thing into the water with the electrically lit panel hooked up. Otherwise, the experience might be more shocking than when they opened the box. Okay, now I've got to look at this thing. Okay. Oh, oh, okay. I, 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 I have to read this. This is great. <laughs> okay. Um, we mailed the money and waited with eager anticipation for the underwater Marvel to arrive. And finally, one Saturday afternoon, a long, nearly flat brown cardboard box was delivered to our house. On the front in large black letters, it said, Here is your Polaris nuclear submarine. Kirk and I looked at this strange package, mystified. How could our submarine be in there? Well, obviously you hadn't put together enough Ikea furniture <laughs> before. 
Um, I was expecting at least a very large wooden crate, maybe even some kind of crane to lower it into the backyard. We had talked about how we could attach it to the roof of Dad's car to get the monster down to the river. Get the sub down to the river, not Dad. A nameless dread arising within me, I began to pull open the big box. Inside, to my shocked dismay, were several pieces of flat, blue-colored cardboard. We took them out and spread them across the floor. There were little metal clamps in a bag to fasten the cardboard pieces together. Once put together, the thing had room for two kids, all right. They could fit in the large cutout hole in the bottom. The electrically lit control panel consisted of a single small bare bulb the size of a blueberry. The plastic toy periscope and torpedoes completed the set. I didn't see how we were ever going to explore underwater in this thing. Cardboard. It was made of cardboard. <laughs> the story of my young life. Um... In the end, we did finally play in that cardboard submarine, a two-man crew, and pretended to dive, hunt for treasure, and battle enemy navies. We used our imaginations and explored depths of wonder no real submarine could ever hope to reach. Not bad for seven bucks. Well, that sounds terrible and awesome at the same time. So, mysterious person of this website, I'm reading michaelchuck.com. That's a pretty great story. And Brian, thank you so much for sharing it. Okay, let's go back to the emails. All right. Then we have uh, doop do doop do doop do August fourth, two thousand eleven. An iTunes review from Quorum TV. Old school Spider-Man fun. Five stars. I have enjoyed this podcast since episode one. If you're a fan of Spider-Man, then you will enjoy this show. They cover older Spider-Man comics and make it fun. A podcast for everyone to try. Thank you so much for that iTunes review, Quorum TV. Travis Griner writes, My computer has been compromised. Updating antivirus now. Because um, <laughs> he sent another email. Don't waste your time on searching. This is a site that has everything. DJBabyface.com.br With a, a, a link that has the word friend in it. Yeah. So we're not going to click on that. We're just going to keep on going. Thank you, Travis, for letting us know you were hacked. Then a movie podcast email from Aiden. Here's a promo for my upcoming movie podcast, theater podcast. Thanks, and I'll play yours. Thank you for sending that to us, Aiden. It looks like your podcast, your theater podcast, didn't quite get off the ground. You have one episode out there, and people can find that at moviepodcast.wordpress.com. But best of hopes in your future endeavors, sir. Okay, let's see what we have next. Um, do, 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 do. Aiden writes again. Hey guys, remember when JR was on the show and he told you about a picture of him with his daughter and he was dressed as Spider-Man? Well, I found it after some searching. It was a part of a series of images called the theater of the absurd. Here is a link. And he has a link to the image at spideykicksbutt.com. And since JR has shared it on his own website, and I will go ahead and link it to our show notes as well. All right. Next email, just blazing through them. Andy Leyland. Hello, Messrs. Wilson, Bertoni, and Grant. 
In episode 32, a correspondent referred to Thomas Dolby's classic 1982 song, She Blinded Me With Science, and referred to the old guy who shouts throughout the song. The old guy was Magnus Pike, a well-known scientist and TV presenter over here in the UK. He was, along with Johnny Ball and Patrick Moore, many UK kids' introduction to science in everyday lives, and was on numerous kids and adults' science TV shows in the 70s. I never thought I'd be emailing Spider-Man classics about Magnus Pike. Best wishes, Andy. And Andy Leyland is going to be the uh, one of the people who's helped me do this show. He is, of course, the host of the um, uh, Palace of Glittering Delights, which is a random topics podcast of all sorts of things that interest him from the realms of science fiction, TV, film, and comics. He also has been the regular uh, one of the two guys over at Hey Kids Comics, which used to be a weekly show until one of the two guys, his son Michael, went off to college, and now they just do specials when they have occasion to do so, which ends up is rather frequently. All right. John Burkholtz writes on August 19th, 2011, Hey guys, just want to thank you so much for doing a fantastic podcast. I have never been into comic books. <gasps> Joe, you shame yourself, sir. I feel so bad for you. But I've always enjoyed superheroes and their movies and TV shows, especially Spider-Man. Well, that does redeem you a bit, Joe. I wanted to learn more about the character of Peter Parker slash Spider-Man, and your podcast was one of the top ones that showed up on iTunes. I have thoroughly enjoyed it so far and really appreciate all of your knowledge about the series. I wanted to give you my thanks and also let you know that through listening to your podcast, I decided to try my hand at comic books, and I'm going to purchase some shortly. Keep up the excellent work. Joe. Let us know. Have you become a comic book nerd? Are you are you sucked into the land of funny books? I hope so. All right. Um, okay. Let's see. Do 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 do. We have an email from John, a.k.a. The Marvel Man. Dear Spidey Classics team, just when I thought that you would not be able to top yourselves, by the way, this is September 6, 2011, you release your reboot episode as presented by your younger selves. Hundreds of lines, such as Girls Are Icky and They'll Never Renumber Detective Comics or Action Comics, made me laugh my ass off. I laughed so hard and so long that I think that I may have ruptured my spleen. I hope you're insured against such things. Amazing Spider-Man Classics does not accept responsibility for any spleen rupturing done while listening to this show. What can I say? Thank you, thank you, thank you for being you, and thank you for a wonderfully creative episode. Honestly, my sides have already split. Please tone it down for the next episode. Please have mercy on my laugh muscles. With appreciation and respect, John, a.k.a. The Marvel Man. Sorry about your spleen, dude. Hope you're feeling better. Thank you very much, though, for writing. Uh, let's see, have an email here from Lindsay, but it appears to be blank. Lindsay, what'd you do? September 28th, 2011, ASM Classics, episode 36. And Lindsay usually writes such awesome emails. Okay, well, it's five years ago. Nothing to be done about it now, right? Also from September 2011, we have an iTunes review from the Extreme Spider. He says, I feel so stupid. It's five stars, though, so I guess feeling stupid is awesome. After months of seeing them post new episodes in the Spider-Man Crawl Space website front page, go check out the site, y'all, I decided I'm going to give it a chance. After hearing the first episode, I was hooked. 
These people make it impossible to sit through one episode without making me look like a maniac in public because I laugh so hard. Hence the I feel so stupid line at the beginning. I get your gist. Uh, you're, 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 you're just there, Extreme Spider. Hopefully you're not losing friends and influencing people badly. He finishes out his review saying they even managed to make one of Spidey's darkest hours, the 90s reboot, seem fun. Kudos to John, Bertoni, and Don for an awesome podcast. Keep it up, guys, and peace out! I said it like that because he put it in all capital letters. Um, okay, so let's see. Email. Oh, thank you very much, Extreme Spider, for writing that iTunes review. Liam Elcote, Betty Brandt is still a horrible person. <laughs> Even Roger Stern writes her as the pretty, mentally deficient woman we've grown to love in this supplementary page from the amazing Annual 16. And he sends an image that has been taken down. This is no longer available. Well, darn. The startling revelation that she actually didn't have a crush on Peter raises even more questions about Betty Brant's sanity during the good old days. Was the idea of being stuck with poor Ned Leeds so undesirable that she would prefer to be with Peter Parker, a guy she apparently never had a crush on? Holy Ness, now I need to read that image. Why is it not working? Why do links expire after five years? <laughs> okay, I'll have to go get my digital copy of Amazing Annual 16 and look at that later. All right, cruising along here, making good time. This is good. This is good. Uh, we have an email from October 1st, 2011. That's my dad's birthday, y'all. From Frank Allen, A-N. Latest ep, another great episode. The Craven Vulture three-parter was a story that introduced me to John Romita when I grabbed the reprints in Marvel Tales off the spinner rack. He instantly became my favorite Spidey artists. Two quick comments. I believe Oak, O-K-E, pronounced like the tree Oak, actually was a slang term, if possibly an outdated one in 1967. It appeared in a couple of 50s movies I've seen, most notably in the song, The Lady is a Tramp. She's broke, but it's oak, goes the lyric. Oh. Ha. Okay. Or oak. <laughs> um, okay, so my, my mental rationalization of this, Frank, has been that whenever English develops new words, we don't always agree on how they're going to be spelled. And it takes a while for a common spelling to be commonly accepted. For instance, um, surfer style, whoa, in my mind is spelled W-H-O-A. Because I've most often seen it spelled that way. But I have lately been seeing it spelled a lot as W-O-A-H. Which, since it's just a, an expletive, is it expletive? Exclamation, <laughs> that's the word. I don't know if there really is a quote-unquote right or wrong way to spell it. So I just thought, okay, being one of those expressions that just happened to come up in, con you know, in, in language might not have had a commonly accepted spelling. Um, teenager is another one of those words. It was sort of developed in the 20th century, and um, for a while it had a hyphen in it. And the hyphen occasionally gets mocked by comics podcasters, understandably. Um, but... Now, we don't put a hyphen in teenager just for no reason at all. We just don't. 
Okay, but thank you very much. That was really cool, Frank. He goes on to say, on the letter referencing Marvel's progress in civil rights, while it's true we are pre-Robbie Robertson in Marvel's history, at this point they had Bill Foster's introductory story in Avengers, which had a strong, if pretty heavy-handed, civil rights theme. But possibly more importantly, there was the character of Gabe Jones in Sergeant Fury. In an era where black regular supporting characters were just making inroads onto TV, the fact that there was an African-American that wasn't a stereotype in nearly every month of this book was pretty groundbreaking. Um, I, I, I'm going to say yes. Thank you for uh, reminding us of that frame, because when I w- was listening to that episode recently, I was like, wait a second. How did I not know about Gabe Jones when I recorded that episode, but then I really had read, never read Sergeant Fury at that time. Uh, yes, he's there. However, in the early issues, he's a really non-character and almost every one of his lines is tied to the fact that he's blowing his trumpet, which, you know, black guy, jazz trumpeter, that's not a stereotype necessarily, but it is a type. Um, I'm looking forward to later issues of Sergeant Fury where his characterization gets more developed. Because right now, I've only read like the first 10 issues of Sergeant Fury, and a lot more than that were out by 1967, which are the Amazing Spider-Man comics that we're covering. So hopefully, hopefully he's become more of a person and less of just a face in the crowd. But a happily seen face because um, a non-white face in the crowd is better than an all-white crowd, in my opinion. If you're going to show, you know, a a team of people. All right. And he says, not bad for a company who once published whitewash in young allies. Oh my God. Yes. Young allies, whitewash, terrible depiction. Let me also add that I, for one, would love some 67 animated series reviews, particularly the origin episode. For years, I had thought that this was a single most faithful adaptation of the origin, an opinion cemented when I realized that it is an almost word-for-word, scene-for-scene translation of the Lee Ramita version done for the Spectacular Spider-Man magazine. Keep on web spinning. Well, you are in luck, Frank, because we have already been recording Spider-Man reviews. And just because you mentioned it, I want to go ahead and give you a peek behind the curtain. Because next episode uh, was recorded a while back, and it I, I didn't know then what I was going to be doing, but now I do. So I'm sitting down with my kids. Because kids and cartoons go together like peas and corn. And and peanut butter and jelly. And, and a jar of jam and the girl from the copy room. All right, so... We are going to be at the end of the episodes that cover issues when there were cartoons. The issue, the episodes will end with several segments of me and Lily and Keenan, maybe sometimes sitting down and watching the cartoons and talking about them. So that hopefully will be enjoyable listening. Thank you very much for writing your email, Frank, and I hope that you're enjoying the show's return. Uh, let's see. Lindsay has included an audio email. You're going to make me do some edits on this show, Lindsay. It's all right. Okay, let's see what you have to say. Hey, guys. This is Lindsay Newton from Melbourne in Australia. I've been listening to the Amazing Spider-Man Classics podcast since it started, and I love it. I even had a letter read out on the podcast. You did suggest that I was a female. I was cool with that. In fact, I had a great laugh. Then in episode 36 at 22 minutes... Josh Petoni reads out a letter from Stephen Lacey. 
you didn't want to insult him by trying a British accent, so Josh, you tried an Australian accent. Man, you really nailed that one. This is my favourite podcast. In fact, I now listen to anything John Wilson has his name on. So keep it up, lads, and greetings from Australia. Thanks. Wow, that is very, very kind of you. That's really cool. Um, and I <laughs> did I, I did get your gender confused at the beginning, so sorry for assuming your gender, I believe is a phrase that cool kids are saying nowadays. Um, and but I, I think I figured out not too long uh, the errors of my mistakes. So thank you for your humor and tolerance of that. And thank you for your support of the show and for listening to my stuff. I hope that uh, my... my uh, wandering podcasting muse continues to entertain and I hope that the other shows that Josh and Don have been doing have also been finding you um, entertained as well okay so let's see we have November coming up at us what emails do we have in November we have Steve Rogers hey gang long time no email Hey guys, first off, I was just playing a superhero trivia iPhone, not an officially licensed app though, game with my five-year-old nephew, and I kid you not, a question was about who was Spidey's first girlfriend in the comics. Their answer, though Betty was one of the answers, was Gwen Stacy! I don't know what that particularly says, but I'm sure the re- retroactive whitewashing of the Silver Age Gwen and Spider-Man history in general has something to do with that question. I'm not sure that whitewashing is the term you want there, Steve, but I understand what you're saying. Well, anyway, since I'm emailing, I might as well throw in some comments. A lot of the reboot special, though, did the idea of doing the first month of brand new day books ever cross your mind? Granted, ironic culture jokes are better with the prism of over a decade of hindsight as opposed to just shy of three years, but it would have been a fun look back. Speaking of those bits, as well as the one with Smallville for the 2002 movie, I really think you guys should do one episode in the moment that the books you are covering the episode that episode came out. It'd be fun, talk about certain events as if they were happening, give ironic jokes about various historical figures like Nixon, McGovern, etc. Be kind of fun for one episode. That's actually not a bad idea. Um, do an in-the-moment episode where you, you know talk about it being in the 60s at at the same time we weren't alive in the 60s (laughs) so the jokes might be a little bit um harder to come by uh when you talk about your own childhood it just comes more easily anyway as usual love the pod and can't wait for more classic spidey goodness excelsior and he has a quick addendum yes i realized the point was to do the relaunch of the titles and cue the rutley's you're my number one number one but at the same time, one can make a case that the new 52 DC is more in line with Brand New Day than the Mackie Byrne reboot. Well, the way I see it anyway, Steve. Um, okay, thank you for writing in, Steve. Now, we have gotten into November, and I know that my last recording with the guys was October. So we're definitely in the era where the show is off the air. So I expect to see some, where did you go? Emails and iTunes comments coming up soon. Speaking of iTunes, Henraldo writes, new discovery, five stars. I just discovered the fun of this classic podcast, but there aren't any new ones. Bring some new ones. What did I say? Can I tell the future or what? All right. Steve Rogers also writes in mail order mysteries, real stuff from old comic book ads. This book seems right up you guys' alley. Look at the stuff you can get from comic book mail order ads. There's a whole book about it. Okay, so that's another link going in the show notes. Um, Steve Rogers' book link. Cool. So if you ever really want to get into those comic book ads, there's a whole book about the stuff. Zooms from The Mighty Detox. 
Spider Dan. He says, hi, true believers. Just writing to say, <laughs> I'm not going to read your email on my Stanley voice. Just writing in to say that I added your show to the list of podcasts that aid in tuning out the rest of my life. I'm a lifelong Spidey fan introduced by the early 80s cartoons and more importantly, the Secret Wars toy line. Yes. Now at 30, <clears throat> now at 31, I have amassed a grand collection of comics, toys, video games, and various other Spider-Man memorabilia. He even, or I've even begun getting a series of tattoos based on the webhead. I've attached a few pics to showcase my geek cred. Um, keep up the good work. P.S. In retrospect, Betty Brandt's personality seems as if it was based upon my ex. <laughs> All right, he's got a, um, he's got a Mary Jane tattoo. Face the tiger, you just hit the jackpot on the, uh, the, with the full upper body, but the black shirt has like a sort of skull face done over it he has ooh, he has an amazing spider-man 39 cover image tattooed around it's not a complete picture but i believe that's his leg i think it's an ankle at the bottom of the picture that no 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 it's an arm okay because the next picture you can see that it's his hand going around his forearm is amazing spider-man 39 cover that is damn impressive sir i bow to your Ability to withstand the pain. Um, all right. Thank you so much for writing in. Thank you so much for sharing the ink, Spider-Dan. That's really, really neat. Okay, we're getting into December now. So I have an email on iTunes review from Scorpio Productions, December 6th, 2011. Hi, John. Oh, it's called Great Podcast, Five Stars. I just discovered this podcast recently while going through some of my old cherished Spider-Man comics. And I've been pleasantly amazed at the amount of humor and depth that your co-hosts and you bring to your reviews of every single classic issue. I know it must be difficult and time-consuming to keep such a thoughtful and focused podcast going, but I do hope you're able to continue since I'm sure there are others like myself who enjoy spending an entertaining two hours reminiscing with you about characters we all grew up reading and caring about so much. The shared experience of those stories and your witty and thorough recaps and analysis make this podcast truly special. I added this comment to your Facebook page as well. Hope to be hearing more great stuff coming from you guys again soon. Sam. Well, Sam, I hope that you have seen that the new episodes are coming. I hope that you're enjoying those. All right. December 24th, 9 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. From here on in, I shoot without a script. See if anything comes of it. Instead of this um, old email. Hey, it's an old email from John, a.k.a. the Marvel Man. Where are you guys? Dear evil people, curse you. Like a highly efficient pusher, you've successfully hooked me on your flawless podcast. And then you abandoned me such that I will now do anything for another fix. We need another episode. Pretty please with sugar on top. John, there are more episodes coming just for you. All right. Podcast hiatus from Henry Baker, December 25th. I enjoyed your program so much that since I haven't been able to get a new one for three months, I've been worried I lost a new favorite podcast. Is the show done or on a break? If a break, when can I look forward to you coming back? Please write back. I'm looking forward to finding out. Henry Baker. Um, you know, I think I am going to send each of you who wrote to say, when are you coming back? I'm going to let you know. So those emails will be coming. Hopefully you've already found the show is back, but if not going to let you know personally because i'm that cool well not because i'm cool because y'all are cool for supporting the show um 
December 28th, 2011, we got an iTunes review from Captain Video 1953. So, Captain Video, you are black and white, right? Best podcast ever. Hey, guys. Just want to say how much I enjoy or how much I love the show. I'm an old Spidey fan. I bought Amazing Fantasy off the rack. Wow. And listening to you guys has got me digging out the essentials and reading along. So maybe 1953 is a birth year. Pretty cool. But I have to admit, you make me feel a bit dated when I seem to be the only one getting the slang. (laughs) See, I just figured it was Marvel using made-up slang. Like, I don't know, not as bad as Bob Haney did in the DC days, but, you know, still made-up slang. So, till we end up riding the rails like Bindle Stiffs, make mine Marvel. Thank you so much for that iTunes review, Captain Video. Um, hopefully you have discovered that we are back and making new episodes just for you. Okay, feel a bit of rustling because I'm trying to get the um, uh, microphone reoriented. All right. Dan Kippen, January 8th, 2012. I just want to drop a line to say that I'm sorry the current crew of your podcast are no more and that I'll miss your podcast. I recently listened to the most recent Crawl Space podcast and on it I heard Bertoni mention that Amazing Spider-Man Classics was no more. I don't know what happened between you guys. Frankly, it's none of my business, but I think it's a great shame that your project will be left unfinished. I was really looking forward to following your podcast through the various years of ASM. This may sound presumptuous, but I would be more than happy to continue the podcast with you, charting from issue 49 and beyond. I'm 36 this year and have been reading Spider-Man comics since I was three. I learned to read through Spidey. I'm still a massive fan to this day. I've been read every issue of every Spidey multiple times, and I know a frankly stupid amount of information about the old webhead. I live in the UK, but through the magic of the internet, we can talk to you via Skype to record. If not, thanks once again for the podcast. I wish you all the best. Dan, very cool of you to offer. Um, and, you know, if, if I'm ever in, in, the, in the market for another Spidey uh, host, I will definitely keep you in mind. So thank you for that. And January 14th, Podcast of Champs. Jacob says a capital letter E. Maybe he hit send too soon. Here we go. Here's the email, January 14th, Podcast of Champs. Hey guys, great podcast. I'm a faithful pod audience member of ASC, Wasteland, Clone Saga Chronicles, Crisis to Crisis, Legends of the Batman by Michael, I don't know how to spell his last name, Bailey, you spelled it correctly, and a great podcast called Pendant Productions, Batman Ace of Detectives. And this is an email that you can read on ASC, Wasteland, and Chronicles. I'm 13 and a huge fan of superheroes. My favorites are Spider-Man, Amazing, Ben Riley, 2099, and Ultimate, Moon Knight, Captain America, Wolverine, and Deadpool. Those are my Marvel favorites. Just so you know, on the Ultimate Knights episode of Wasteland, Moon Knight does have split personalities in 616, but to my knowledge, they don't have conversations in his head, and there isn't a little girl. Just a businessman, a cab driver, and Moon Knight. On the DC side of the playground, I like Batman, Nightwing, and Wonder Woman. I don't buy her comics, though. I'm trying to get into Superman also. Okay, now that I'm done listening, here is my secret origin. So I have read every... I'm sorry. So I have read funny comics since I was seven. Around when I was ten, I saw these amazing Spider-Man classics that contain the first 20 to 30 issues of Spider-Man, including the Human Torch team-up. Yeah, Spider-Man classics was a comic title. It was a reprint book for a while. Then I got into Avengers. They were and are my favorite superhero team, followed by the Thunderbolts. But I wasn't quite addicted yet. But a couple months later, picked up Batman Nightfall, the original Venom story, 
Ultimate Clone Saga, and Death of Superman, and I was hooked. That's a pretty, uh, pretty awesome collection there. <clears throat> then in a flash, I read every comic book at two different libraries. I read the good and bad Ultimate stuff, Old Man Logan, cough, but awful, cough, and some Batman and Justice League Clone Saga and a buttload of Amazing Spider-Man. Then a couple months ago, I bought Ultimate Spider-Man, Warriors, and some of Knights and the Ultimate Clone Saga. I first listened to a couple of Batman podcasts, because Batman's my second favorite hero, that Bailey made a plug for Wasteland, and I jumped onto that podcast, then to ASC, and finally Clone Saga Chronicles. So there is my long version of a short secret origin that will probably be retconned by John Byrne. <laughs> he will probably say that I have read since I was three that Stanley was my stepbrother. <laughs> Celsius, true believers, from Jacob. Thank you very much for that, Jacob. Hopefully you've rediscovered the show being back, and hopefully you're still reading comics. You were 13 when this uh, came in, and um, four and a half years is a is a pretty significant chunk of age to increase. So hopefully you're still still there. Teenage the teenage years can kill comics fandom sometimes. All right, what is next? Another one from G uh, Jacob. Uh, he says, "Can you have Don Grant read this?" Um, well, I don't have Don, so I'm just gonna do my Don impression, which sounds a lot like my own voice because I'm not going to do a Don impression. Hey guys, my name is Jacob Shaw and I'm 13 and I'm a Texanite. I sent the long email about myself, but I realized I forgot to talk about the awesomeness that is your podcast. So first, this is a great podcast. You guys are hilarious. John, you are a great podcaster. You're funny and very spidey smart. Put together a great team of spider nerds. Your other podcast, Teenage Wasteland, is good also. Josh, you're a hilarious guy and need to go on Saturday Night Live after Stan Lee does. By the way, the Betty voice is awesome sauce. Awesome sauce. Don't even get me started on your knowledge of Spider-Man. Don, to describe what you do is to go to my mom and say, Science! Female! That, that wasn't really a Don impression, just kind of, you know, in the same vein. He says, I listen to the movie commentary and all I can say is do another with Spider-Man 2. I mainly listen to Teenage Wasteland and Classics and have CSE in my phone, but it's getting set back because of this one. So the bad thing's okay, I got a long list. One, nothing. Whew, then with that. Anyway, that's a lot of words to say. Great podcast. Um, okay, so my memory is kind of terrible. Evidently, we did a Spider-Man 2 movie commentary, but I don't remember doing it. Um... I think it was during the spring of 2012, whenever we briefly played with the idea of reviving the show then. Um, but I don't have any of my podcast recordings from after October 1st, which were the last recordings for this show, throughout the entire year 2012 until sometime later. So whatever machine I recorded that on, I don't have those files anymore. So apologies, Jacob. But there will be no Spider-Man 2 commentary, at least not in time in the near future. Okay. But thank you for writing. And we also, on that same date, got an iTunes review from Nightwing7453. Before I read that, though, I need a drink. Okay. Great podcast. I encourage you to listen to these guys. They're hilarious and informative. They talk about Spider-Man issues from Amazing Fantasy 15 on. They go along giving props and poking holes in the characters, art, dialogue, plot, and the female Betty Brant. Only two disclaimers. One, there is language. 
Not much, but some. Two, you may embarrass yourself by laughing out loud in public. Only one more thing, they have a secret. Science! I have a feeling those might be written by the same person. Anyways, thank you, Nightwing. Whether or not you are secretly Jacob, I do appreciate the iTunes review. February 2012. Ed Emerling, any new podcasts? During a long week at work, I caught up on your podcasts. Is there any chance the project will continue? You were coming up on two of my favorite stories, issues 49 and 50. It'd be great if you could come back at least for those two. Hope to hear from you soon. Well, you've already heard our coverage of those issues now. I hope you enjoyed it, Ed. And Ian writes March 25th. Hi, guys. I'm still trying to catch up on your awesome show. But where are the latest shows? Please update. This is my favorite podcast. Then March 27th, Robert Die. Hey, gentlemen, I don't know if you're still doing your podcast or not, but I have been listening to the first episodes and enjoying them a great deal. A few comments. Someone commented that, thank God it was not May who was written by the spider, as we really don't want to see her in the costume. But, and he includes a link to a ciscoid blog entry on Blogspot, what if Aunt May had been bitten by a female feeling this is going to be a what if cover um what if ant may have been bitten by that radioactive spider and yeah what if number 23 from october of 1980 and they have her in a version of the costa that includes some um a hairnet or something or some sort of hat maybe to go along with the spider mask and a skirt attachment at the bottom uh, the art in this is crazy. I will include a link to this in the show notes so that if you've never read Siskoid's, um, I'm sorry, if you've never read What If number 23, you can hear Siskoid's thoughts about it. So let's go over to my notepad and say Siskoid link from Robert Die. Okay. I wasn't sure if any of you knew of this story or not. I hope you keep on, at least to the Marv Wolfman run of my college years, as this is when I first met Spidey. I would suggest that you consider that what you are producing may be out there on the net forever. Therefore, since you cannot control where it goes, or what Disney does with the Spidey property, consider that in the unforeseen, nightmarish future, a time may come when Disney's primary push of Spidey may target the kitty market more than anything else. Little kids who want to know more about their hero may be the only hope of it being restored to a more mature prominence, and a lot of swearing and bleeping might not be helpful with their parents. Just saying, from Robert Die. Uh, I appreciate the sentiment, Robert. Uh, I understand where you're coming from on that. Um, I think swearing is for everyone. And I think that everyone from a young age should learn which audiences are appropriate to swear in front of and which are not. Um, because there's still some audiences where that is considered a hangup. But, uh, but I understand what you're saying. I generally, in my podcast nowadays, try to keep that to a limited level. But, um, but sometimes it just comes out, and that's just the way things are. I don't really apologize for it anymore. Um, but thank you very much for writing. And April is coming up. So we have April 18th. We have an iTunes review. From 71099. Great! Two stars. Awesome show, but where did you go? This is the longest hiatus yet. Hope you come back soon. Go science! Also, thanks to you guys, I spell Liz's name Liz Allen. A-N. John, Josh, and Donovan have a great chemistry together, and John is a good host. 
I suggest that people download every episode and listen to them in order. The group has awesome running gags like Irony Alert and HypnoCoin. Okay, here's a note for all iTunes reviewers. Two-star iTunes reviews do not hurt my feelings. I mean, I will listen to what you have to say, and if it's, you know, I will give you a polite and kind response, especially if it's an insightful thing. However, putting two stars on an iTunes review because it's on hiatus is like asking your significant other that you broke up with or who broke up with you to come back to you and date you again. And your method of asking them to do this is by slapping them in the face. Here, would you please go out? Yeah, that's not a good way to get that to happen. So if you're sad that something's on a hiatus and you want it to come back, don't downvote it in iTunes. It's just, it's anti-intuitive, it's, it's counterintuitive. Don't do that. So, okay. iTunes instruction over. Moving along with the feedback. April 23rd from Eddie Jimenez. Are you guys going to keep doing your podcast? I really enjoyed it. Sorry if you've answered this already. Sorry if you've already answered this question a million times. By the way, someone should do a podcast on the JMS years. Hint, hint. Um, Eddie, you should do a podcast on the JMS years. Hint, hint. <laughs> uh, I will not be doing it anytime soon. Sorry. It's not, not, so not a place where my brain is. Um, Elijah Bialpando says, help. Hello, amazing Spider-Man Classics gang. It's me, Elijah, Donovan's biggest fan. I have a certain need that I ask from John. Um, let's see if this is something I should be reading out loud. It's basically a request for help with getting a podcast going. Um, I'm sorry that I did not see this in a more uh, helpful time frame, Elijah. I really honestly sort of ignored this email inbox for a long time. Because, <laughs> um, yeah, maybe obvious reasons. All right, going on to May 7th. Ben Green says, Hi, guys. I've just started listening to your amazing podcast. I'm really enjoying it. I'm on episode 10, and so far think it's the best comic-related podcast I've found. You guys are the funniest. I love getting home from work and finding the issues you have been reviewing, seeing all the funny things you've commented on that I never noticed before. Anyway, I noticed the last episode was put out in September, so I guess you finished with this podcast. That's a shame, but at least I still have 20-odd episodes to go. Just wanted to say thanks for all the time and effort you may have, you must have put into the show. As a longtime Marvel and Spider-Man fan, I truly appreciate it. Are you guys still podcasting together on any other Marvel-based shows? It'd be great to know there will be more of your mad humor to listen to after I finish this podcast. All the best. Um, ben, I have done lots of podcasting over the years. Uh, it comes and goes. It's awesome. It's, it's off and on. But currently, um, the new 52 Adventures of Superman and the Giant Superman podcast are my other primary endeavors. Besides this show, I'm bringing it back. Okay, what is next? Are we to June yet? Um, no, May 31st. Artwork from the Amazing Spider-Man movie is the center of a new co-branded t-shirt line with Stand Up to Cancer. Oh, this is a promo email from Rubenstein Communications. Hi, editor. Yeah, I'm not going to waste time with that. We're already going over an hour as it is. Okay, now we're at June, which means I can read this June 16th iTunes review by C. Awesome. The subject line is awesome with five stars, and the review says CGI. 
Thank you for that five-star review, See Awesome. I hope you are enjoying the show, and I appreciate you leaving that for us. Then there was an email, July 20th, and I'm sorry, June 20th, from John Bishop. Question about the show. Hello! Having just recently discovered the amazing Spider-Man podcast, I have to say that I'm enjoying the show very much and have been listening to the shows in order, but notice it's been some time since the last podcast show has been released. Has the show been canceled, or is it just on an extended hiatus? Um, both, actually. Because <laughs> we had we really did cancel the show, but it is definitely coming back, which means it was all just a hiatus. So, let's see. Chris, in September 3rd. Hey, that's my wife's birthday. All right, lads. Only up to episode 21, but really enjoying the show so far. Just wondering why you guys stopped recording. Well, you know, Chris, reasons. Reasons happen. So do raisins. Actually, um, do to do September 24th is the next email from Joseph Glass. Why did you stop making episodes? I love this podcast. I've been waiting for a new episode. Please respond. I will write you an email saying that you that we that we are back. He wrote again three weeks later. Joseph Glass. Why did you stop doing episodes? October 15th. Excuse me. Brian Scott. October 24th says, hey guys at ASM Classics, I'm not caught up on the show, but I totally love it. Especially the Betty Brant imitations. It's a great Spider-Man podcast. I'm only on the Spider-Man 20 and 21 episodes, but I love your podcast. I would love it if you could read this on the podcast. When I catch up, I'll hear my email being read. Note, this is my first time actually writing to a podcast. Keep up the great episodes, Von Barris. Um, Brian, I hope you're still around. I'll be emailing you to let me know that we are back. So here... This is your email. I have read it on the air. Please make checks payable to John Wilson without an H. Send it to the usual address. All right. November 5th from Jolly Jovial Jonah. Come back, guys. Five stars. This is a great podcast. I have listened to these episodes at least three times each. Please come back, guys. Us fans miss you guys. See, that's how you do it. Five stars to sweeten the deal. Two stars makes me say, what 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 are you doing? But thank you, Jolly Jovial Jonah, for that iTunes review in November of 2012. We're almost to the next calendar year. First, Nathan Ahern. Subject line is whatever happened to the series with a sad face in the body. I'm so sorry. Rick Lewis, love the show. December 12, 2012. 12, 12, 12. I'm way late to the party, and I'm just catching up on your show now. I just want to let you know that I think it was great. Also, will I find out in episode 36 why it's your last episode? Or did you just decide that was enough? Even though we're far too short, thanks for the amount of shows you did give us. Um, sorry, Rick. There was no explanation in episode 36. You have been wondering for a very long time. Richard Elson writes on December 14th, Any chances of future episodes, or has the podcast come to an end? All the best. And then we're into 2013, which means I can read this iTunes review from January. Joe Burkholtz, he wrote us earlier. I know that ASM Classics is now defunct, but I still feel the need to heap praises upon praises on it. Because I owe the hobby passion obsession that is a huge part of who I am now to this podcast. (laughs) I love sequels. This is great. We get to hear about Joe's future, which is now his past. 
If it hadn't been for ASM Classics, I never would have started reading comic books. That, in and of itself, is the highest praise I think you can give a podcast like this. I found it offhandedly on iTunes. Spider-Man being my favorite superhero caught my eye and I downloaded every episode. I love it so very much. I now buy comics on a monthly basis and I owe it all to the classics gang. Thank you, John, Josh, and Don for everything you did on this cast from the big bottom of my heart. Excelsior. Thank you for that, Joe. And thank you for getting back to us and letting us know how things are going with you. February. Eddie Jimenez wrote us a PDF. Um, it's a comics page. It has uh, a lot of story in it. I don't know what this is. It appears to be the second half of New Avengers 1 from the Hickman run. I have no idea why that was sent to me. There's no text. I'm going to assume it was sent an error and keep on going. All right. February 23rd. What happened from Keith Freiheit? Hey, guys. I only found ASMC about a year and a half ago and really enjoyed it. I was working my way through the episodes when I finished 36 and noticed there was no 37. What happened? Hope you'll get together again sometime soon and continue the series. We will. We did. If you count, you know, five years as soon. But as Aslan said, I call all times soon. Okay. March 10th. We have um, Matthew Green. So I can't find any information on why the Amazing Spider-Man podcast ended. And I've been enjoying it a lot on my commute to college and back each day. Why did you guys stop making the podcast? Um, May is the next email, which means I should read this iTunes review from March. What happened to the Teenage Wasteland Ultimate Spider-Man podcast? Well, that's a different kind of question. That one I can give a detailed answer to. Um, Basically, the... Okay, I was going to say basically the same thing that happened to Amazing Spider-Man Classics and that it just ended. Um, it ended for entirely different reasons. Um, the main person who was making that show happen, Zach Henderson, got busy with life. And um, he's been doing a lot of stuff with his life that does not involve podcasting. So it's cool. It's, it's his life. We sort of ended. And since he was paying the bills and keeping that show going, um, it's kind of out of my hands as far as where the episodes being taken down, that sort of thing. So uh, I really enjoyed doing that with Zach and no hard feelings. And I hope that he is doing well. We occasionally say hi on Facebook, but we don't really keep in touch that much anymore. Okay. Um, May 20th, 2013, Eric Vinicius. Oh no, Vinicius. Sorry. I just discovered your podcast, amazing Spider-Man classics. I'm really surprised. Why? Just because I have a blog in Brazil called um, Arachnaval, something like Spider Fan for you, where we have some podcasts too. The reason of the surprise is because in one of these podcasts, a Thwip View, we did exactly the same thing as you. We discuss, in Portuguese, of course, every Spider Man story chronologically. Really glad to meet other fans around the globe with the same passion for the Spider Man that we have. Um, sorry about my poor English. I'm still practicing. I hope your podcast may help to improve my English's skills. Thank you so much for writing, Eric. That is really cool. As a speaker of more than one language, I have to say that your English is probably significantly better than my Spanish. I mean, I say that thinking that my Spanish is actually pretty good. Um, but your English came off with, with the only couple of minor flaws that really don't matter too much. Um, so let's see. He appears to still be going. 
Over at um, his blog, arachnava.com.br slash blog, there are Thwipcast episodes as recent as, um, I, I'm, I'm not, it says SET, I'm going to assume that's an abbreviated Portuguese for September, September 3rd, and it's September 5th today as I'm recording this, so yeah, um, cool. I will put a link to your show in the uh, notes, just in case we have any um, Portuguese speakers or learners in the audience. That is great. Eric Vinicius uh, podcast. All right. Okay. Now we are almost through ladies and gentlemen, even though we're only on 2013. Um, these next year are going to go by quickly. I guess people just started writing email after a while. Um, let's see. That's a business email that didn't really need to come in. Um, then we have Jason Smith from May 6th, 2014. See, 2014. We've already joined an entire year. I just discovered your podcast and see that it is no longer. What happened? Well, we left. Now we're back. I'll write you an email letting you know. From Danny Meehan. Hi, how are you? It works. And there's a link to probably spam. So we're just going to keep on going, Danny. We don't like you. All right, a couple of iTunes reviews in 2014. Slimy Entrails, four stars. Bring it back. Um, B Spidey G, October 26th. Good, five stars. And then an email from 2015, January 14th. Elliot Santiago says, I missed the show at Princess Python. Hey, guys. Been a while, a very long while, since I've heard an episode, but I'm still a big fan of the show. Just wanted to let you know if anyone's out there that the Circus of Crime is making a return to ASM in a story called Spiral by our very own Jerry Conway. <coughs> anyway, I just thought that what would be a better time to return to the show than to coincide with the return of Princess Python to Amazing Spider-Man. I like the way you think, Elliot. That would have been a cool idea. I still listen to the old show sometimes, and I wouldn't even need a consistent release schedule, but I'm sure a lot of people miss the podcast. I understand if you guys have closed the book on ASM Classics for personal reasons, but hey, I never thought Princess Python would come back to Spider-Man. Anyway, thanks for the read. <laughs> Good point, sir. Good point. And we're back. Um, and I think I've been doing a pretty consistent release schedule. Every two weeks I've had an episode out. Not always on Friday. In fact, I don't think I've actually hit an on Friday yet. But um, but yeah, it has been coming out every two weeks. Um, then we have, let's see, July 31st of the current year. Woohoo! We're caught up to current emails from recent releases. Got an iTunes review going to read first. Actually going to read two of them. WriterFan215, great old show. I know Josh and Don are busy with the Batman universe these days, and I don't know what John is up to, but it'd be great if this show could regenerate. I understand life gets in the way, and it might not be possible, but definitely be listening. Um, WriterFan, we are back. I hope you are listening. That was April. And then July 17th, our most recent iTunes review from Rosa Tao. Are you back? Five stars. I used to love listening to this podcast. I was excited when checking in and saw a new episode. Please bring it back. Nobody reviews the old issues. And current Spider-Man is just crap. So those are all of our iTunes reviews. We have 65 ratings. We have 41 reviews. 54 of our ratings are five-star reviews. 
and the remaining 11 are four, three, two, and one. Um, four stars are five of them. Two stars are four of them with a three and a one thrown in for good measure. All right. Two more emails, guys. Only two more emails. Alex Evangeli says, ASM 50, dear ASM Classics, just wanted to write in with some of my own thoughts on Amazing Spider-Man number 50. On the issue of the crime rate spiking with Spider-Man's absence, I'm no Silver Age expert when it comes to all things Marvel, but my impression is very much that whilst there are guys like the Fantastic Four, the Avengers, and other heroes in New York City, Spider-Man is one of the relatively few heroes to focus almost entirely on street crime. That's a pretty good point. He says, again, not an expert, but to my knowledge, the FF and Avengers didn't go on regular patrols for buggers, bank robbers, or racketeers the way that Spider-Man did. Whilst I believe Daredevil did do stuff like that, retroactively we know he focuses mainly on Hell's Kitchen, meaning the impact he'd have on the crime race would, be, would not be city-wide the way that Spider-Man is. Even going by the context of the times, though, you could argue that Spider-Man's webbing and superhuman abilities render him able to simply cover more ground and do more than Daredevil, whose physical prowess is merely that of a skilled athlete, and whose billy club wouldn't make for his fast travel as Peter's webbing. Um, yeah, that's a good point. So, the FF of the Avengers, well, except for that moment in Luke Cage's The Avengers, whenever he's like, let's go stand on street corners and... And, and stop bad guys there, just be a presence. That didn't last very long. It was a cool idea, because Luke Cage is from the streets, but yeah. On a final note, going back to the email, in the Spec Spidey cartoon, the idea that Spider-Man's presence actually fighting criminals from even committing crimes in the first place lends a potential explanation for how, with the announcement of Spider-Man's retirement, the crime rates would increase. Jonah's article, in a sense, was declaring an open season, for two-bit thugs previously intimidated by the prospect of being caught by Spidey. Which just goes to show that J. Jonah Jameson is a terrible human being. Just, just to reiterate that point out there using this email as support. Alex goes on to say, Moving on, I agree with Don that Peter is reminiscing upon Mary Jane, potentially being more than the flighty scatterbrain she appeared as is maybe a bit weird. However, you could take it to mean Peter is maybe a bit more perceptive than we give him credit for. After all, at the time of ASM 50, Peter not only knew how he himself had successfully misled the world and what he was really like, but he'd also learned that Flash was more than the jock bully he'd known for years. Whilst Flash hadn't shown much in the way of change between coming clean with the principal and the Ditko run, being Spidey's biggest fan, trying to help out, albeit foolishly, by dressing up like Spidey, his slight softening towards Peter in the Romita run, and his going to the army. Peter's opinion on Flash had shifted to some extent, that's why he respectfully wished him well back in 47. Similarly, Peter, at the time of ASM 50, had had three noteworthy lessons about the presumptions one makes about people. In issue 18, Aunt May showed him she was a lot tougher than he gave her credit for, in issue 39, Harry Osborne and Gwen not only started to act nicer toward him, but in Harry's case, he learned about his unhappy upbringing, which completely changed how he regarded the junior Osborne. And of course, Mary Jane herself wound up being nothing like he'd believed she would be when he finally met her. 
Because of all this, it isn't too much of a stretch to imagine that Peter would at least ponder the possibility that Mary Jane is more than she lets on. You know, Alex, those are some really well put points. Very well made. Um, when we see lines like that, that seem to have a foreknowledge of much later developments, it's sometimes hard to get into the writer's heads and get to exactly what they were thinking. But yeah, um, whether this is all in the writer's head at the time or not, you have some very cool in-universe explanations for why Peter would be saying that. Alex goes on to say, Additionally, in Web Spinner Tales of Spider-Man number 1 and in Sensational Spider-Man Annual 2007, the idea was raised that Peter could detect that there was something else going on with Mary Jane. In the former story, he claimed MJ was too mercurial, suggesting he could tell there was more to MJ than he realized and found it hard to get a read on her. So you're saying that Peter thought that she was just a little bit too crazy. It's like, there's no way anybody could be this, this loosey goosey or, or whatever you want to call it. I like that. I can dig that in the annual. And as I'm misremembering it, Peter claimed he was somewhat fascinated by MJ because her personality and actions confused him. Whilst that wasn't clear on whether he was talking about MJ back in the silver age or later in life, you could use that as evidence to say Peter was not simply taking MJ entirely on face value. On a final note, I think ASM 50 is a great story when taken in isolation, but I wanted to ask about how you think it reflects upon Peter's character in the grand scheme of the series. That is to say, he has already quit at least twice before now. So does it reflect negatively on his standing as a heroic character for him to so easily forget those lessons? Or is he simply, as we say over here, having a bit of a wobble, having been thrown for a loop by May's illness and other pressures at the time? Um, I want to respond to that, but it seems like the next paragraph goes along with it, so I'll, I'll, st- I'll pause for a second and read the rest of the email. Similarly, does Peter's decision here compromise his character in terms of his whole great power equals great responsibility mantra, or the guilt he feels over Ben's death? Personally, having a hard time reconciling the idea that Peter would ever forget how and why he became Spider-Man, since it was such a massive and traumatic experience in his life. Wacky Silver Age writing is the only viable excuse I can come up with. Anyway, that's all for now. I look forward to hearing more from the revived ASM classics in the future. Um, okay. Of late, my approach to characters has been to try to see the, as much as possible, given the writing we get, the human, complex, everyday understandings of why the characters are doing things um it's one of the reasons i love man of steel so much i feel like there's a lot of humanism in their writing that people are superheroes for reasons other than the fact that they're superheroes like we 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 have these stories about these characters who are doing fantastic things on a regular basis but why would they even do that? And, and, you know, in Man of Steel, we have a journey about how and why Clark came to that point in his life. Um, I think Peter Parker, whether we say having a bit of a wobble or whether we say that he's flaky, I mean, this is issue 50. So if we go by Stan's thinking at the time, it's been four years of life. Is there anything besides a job that we get paid to do? Is there anything that any of us have done consistently on a regular basis as an activity for four years where there's no accountability other than us choosing to do it? I mean, 
I'm sure the answer is yes, but there aren't a whole lot of those kinds of things. So Peter deciding that the Spider-Man thing that is a very, a very thankless exercise is finally just too much, I can see that being a very realistic response to life. It's not the sort of thing you can do in a storytelling, serial storytelling medium too often because it becomes repetitive. But if we look at somebody's life and why somebody does things, giving up an activity for no other reason that, you know what, I'm just done with this, feels natural. Um, as far as traumatic experience and the great power, great responsibility thing, yes. But at the same time, even the huge traumas of our life are not always in the forefront of our mind influencing our actions. I mean, I lost three people in one day when I was 16. That does not... That, that has an influence on my life, and it has an influence on the way I do things, especially the way I parent my children, but it's not always in the forefront of my life. Sometimes we have something that happens in our lives that changes our approach, changes our direction, but then eventually just the overbearing amount of our personality just kind of pushes us back in the original direction. Uh, and we have to readjust later if we choose to, or sometimes we just don't. Um, so for all these reasons, I think that it's a completely believable event in his life. Um, was it scripted as believably as possible? That's up for debate, but I think the story definitely works. That's just me. Um, and I hope that you are enjoying the return of the show. Last email, last one, Mark Adams. I am very happy you are back. And thrilled to at last hear the legendary Lost episodes, especially for Stephen Lacey, who has waited a long time. I really enjoyed ASC in the day I used it to run to when I first started running to numb the pain, and you guys were some of my inspiration to start my own podcast. You're the reason I Google educational establishments in books, TV, and movies to see if they are real or made up for the show. <laughs> Turns out neither Empire State University nor State University is real. Is Israel real? I think Israel is real. I was as sad when it disappeared and this, and with little trace, and that influenced the decision for my first two podcasts to become limited series, so I wouldn't podcast fade, if that is a word. If it happened to you guys, it could easily happen to me. I really enjoyed the Lost episodes. The chemistry between you three is warm and fuzzy. The picking on minute details to spend 20 minutes to talk about felt natural. I will miss Josh and Don from the podcast and very much appreciate John's honesty at the end of episode 39 about what happened five years ago. It speaks volumes that you all came back five years later to re-record the missing bits of episode 38, even if it gave me a chronological headache figuring out where the temporal join was. <laughs> And you are right on two counts at least. One, we do not need to know what happened. And two, Amazing Spider-Man Classics is a podcast to be proud of. I'm looking forward to the next generation episodes, and I wish Michael, Andrew, and of course, John, all the best for the next episodes. Where do you find the time for more podcasting? Two episodes enough. Two episodes a month is enough for me. Mark from the Mark's Mess podcast. Um, thank you, Mark. Those are the kind of sentiments I was really, really hoping would be engendered by the return of the show. So it, it warms my heart and pleases me that you are um, looking forward to the return. And yes, Mark does podcasting um, 
series over at the Mark's Mess podcast site. Let me see if I can get that up here. He is at marksmesspodcasts.blogspot.com. In the past, he has done limited runs. Uh, he did a discussion of each of the annuals that led to the Evolutionary War crossover from 1988. And then he did a series of episodes about the Atlantis, I believe it's Atlantis Attacks, um, annuals from 1989. So those are definitely worth checking out. Currently, he has two non- um, well, one non-comics and one maybe not explicitly comics podcast endeavors. The Mark's Mess podcast. It looks like he's doing podcasts with his kids. I'm going to have to check this out. Um, and then John Adams' Letters from the Front, where he's talking about John Adams' letters from May 1916. I don't know who John Adams was in this context, because the only John Adams I know is from the really early, you know, American history. But I'm going to have to listen to those, because those both seem... I'm, I'm very intrigued. Very intrigued. So, marksmesspodcasts.blogspot.com, and I will also leave a link to that in the show notes. Whew! Looking at the clock, it says 1 hour 44 minutes. Um, plus a little bit for opening music, such things. I'm not going to edit anything out. This is the way the show is. I want to run it through the um, sound removal for the background fan that's running and, and level it so that my bursts of sound and my really quiet voices can come up to both reasonable levels and I'm throwing it out there. I've also got to put in the, the sound from Lindsay Newton, <laughs> which I always appreciate audio emails. Those are great. I'll just give a little uh, him a bit of a hard time because I was just planning on not even touching the contents of the show, except to run it through a couple of processes. Um, okay, so that brings the email episode to a close. I really do appreciate it, guys. I it it's gratifying to find that so many people out there have missed the show. I am very pleased to be bringing it back. I'm hoping that the response is favorable. You'll find out in two weeks what the new show is going to be like as Michael and Andy and I pick up exactly where Josh, Don, and I left off with issue 53 of Amazing Spider-Man. So that's coming in two weeks. I always aim for Friday. I usually land on Saturday or Sunday. And because of Dragon Con this week, I'm actually landing on a Monday night release. But yes. Okay. Thanks again, everyone. Amazing Spider-Man Classics can be reached at AmazingSpiderMan.Libson.com, Facebook.com slash Amazing Spider-Man Classics, and by sending your emails to AmazingSpiderManClassics at gmail.com. Follow the show on Twitter at ASM Classics. Follow me on Twitter at John Reads Comics, no H. And until next time, my name is John Wilson, and thank you very much for listening to Amazing Spider-Man Classics. Good night. Just like guys, look out! Here comes the Spider-Man!
Spider-Man! 